Hello, and welcome to the Digital Health Leaders Podcast, where we bring the best of the best in digital health leadership to you. I'm Russ Branzell, President and CEO of the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, or CHIME, and the host of this podcast. These are truly unprecedented times for our industry and our healthcare leaders. These leaders are doing everything they can to support our frontline caregivers and guide their organizations through some of the most tumultuous times in modern history. Today, we have one of those special leaders with us. Well, today we have a wonderful CIO. Uh, not very often do I get to say young, but I definitely can say young on this one. Uh, Nick is one of the new generation of CIOs, that, that young, innovative, what we also refer to as 3.0 leaders, um, as we've been building these programs for a year to help the HIT 3.0 leaders advance where they need to be. And I think he really embraces the spirit of that. And you're going to hear through our time together on this podcast, uh, some of those attributes, but most importantly, truly a passionate person about making a difference in HIT. So it's with great pleasure that we introduce Nick Zamansky, the Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Signature Healthcare in Brockton, Massachusetts. Welcome to the program, Nick. Thanks. And thanks for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Well, first and foremost, during these crazy times, we always ask the same question to start off with. How are you and your family and, and the friends at uh, Signature Health doing during these difficult processes? Yeah, luckily, uh, family-wise, everyone's good. Everyone's uh, healthy. Uh, professionally, obviously, we're all um, trying to, you know, help produce and generate the best outcomes. Uh, uh, somewhat of a unique situation. I feel like I was following um, the... The unfortunate uh, peak of cases uh, leaving from, you know, New York City, specifically Staten Island, uh, where there was a lot of cases. And then uh, at the time of my transition coming to Massachusetts, and this specific area was the second hardest hit. Um, so I, I have been living and breathing this from a support role, luckily, uh, only. But um, yeah, it's been very, very impactful. But Luckily, on a on a personal side and family side, everything's been uh, we're all good. So, yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that for a little bit here because you did a transition at possibly the craziest time in the history of the United States, at least our history here. You can probably go back to some others, but at least in the role of CIO, probably one of the most. Tell us about the timing of when some of the changes for you occurred. Yeah. So um, I started here. Uh, my first day was the first week of April here in Brockton. Uh, and like I alluded to earlier, I was coming from Staten Island, which we were dealing with such a such a rise in the cases daily, weekly. Um, it just consumed us as it has for everybody. Uh, and especially at that time, since it was a little less known how to treat it, what to do, what options to look at. Um, so coming here was, uh, I luckily had some experience coming from uh, Staten Island and how we were handling it there. So that helped from a technical perspective, but you know, each organization attacks a little bit differently. Uh, but it really uh, afforded me the opportunity to get up to speed very quickly with the culture of the organization, uh, the needs and the wants of the organization. Um, you know, because you're you're at the, a critical moment in time. You're brand new to the organization. Uh, we'll hit on some of these topics in a little bit, probably. But you know, I really had to forge relationships very quickly. Uh, to get a better understanding of, you know, what are what are our strengths and weaknesses? What are we trying to address? Um, how are we positioned? Um, 
So it's been very interesting. And then to throw into the mix, we're in the middle of a EMR conversion on top of it. So um, that definitely was, a, there hasn't been a dull moment, I can tell you that much. And it, and it gave me a great opportunity to learn very quickly, again, not only the culture, but people learn about, you know, operations more than I had learned previously or in different areas that I was not that familiar with. So uh, it's been very rewarding, uh, very challenging for sure, though. Yeah, you definitely are glutton for punishment because, uh, you know, it's funny, we teach a boot camp these, this concept of the 30, 60, 90 day plan on how to get yourself into mm-hmm. a new organization. I think yours was a three, six, nine plan. You you probably had days, not uh, months to, to figure it all yeah. out. Correct. In some cases, actually hours. I remember the first day I had calls, uh, you know, with the EMR vendor and we had to pick go live dates or new dates. Um, so <laughs> it was taking a lot of information and making uh, the best decision, you know, and really relying on the team. That was another great opportunity was really to see what the team uh, was made up of, uh, you know, uh, learning, again, strengths, weaknesses, um, but, you know, really had to take in a lot of information and make quick decisions uh, and quick logical decisions. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely been, like I said, very interesting, uh, challenging, but rewarding all at the same time. Yeah, so so you've been a CIO for a while, even though you're fairly young, and uh, you, you don't see that very often. Even in today's world, where where the new generation of leaders are coming up, kind of digital natives, but you still don't see many that have started their career as early as you did in formal CIO positions. So tell us a little bit about that part of your career and how you got into such a senior position of leadership so quickly. Yeah, um, so I take great pride in this, and there's a, a lot that's uh, contributed to it that I've been very fortunate. Uh, I've had amazing mentors. I, I, I would not be here uh, without those folks. Um, I've happened to be in the right place at the right time, I feel, uh, most of the time. <laughs> um, and, you know, I really tried to take the, the most out of those opportunities, and that's exactly how I viewed them. Um, you know, even I was in uh, New York Presbyterian for a few years, and I started the same day that Daniel Barchi started. So, you know, this being around these folks who are so well established, uh, so well respected, um, it, it was really such an incredible opportunity. And I feel like I've fallen into those situations quite often. So what I've told myself is, you know, take advantage of that and be an absolute sponge, uh, maybe a nudge at times, you know, just keep asking questions, asking questions. And unfortunately, uh, I've, uh, you know, been able to meet these, you know, very dedicated, very established uh, folks, and they have been so kind to give me, uh, you know, lessons, give me their time, uh, you know, let me even spread my wings a little bit and maybe learn a lesson or two the hard way. Uh, but, you know, mm-hmm. they were there in the background to pick me up if I needed to, you know, so I've been very, very uh, fortunate uh, in that. And like I said, I take great pride in that, and I continue to try to push the limits um unfortunately enough people allow me to do so you know so even now uh being in this role i'm continuing to push to try to get into operations and learn more on on that aspect and how can it help streamline things how can we make things more efficient how can we have a little bit of fun along the way too um so it was really always challenging myself but also being very appreciative and fortunate of the opportunities that uh you know i've been lucky to kind of fall into (laughs) Well, uh, I think a lot of times we make our own luck by uh, the amount of work we do. It's funny you mentioned Daniel Barchi. Uh, I teach at Columbia uh, in New York. As a matter of fact, teach there this afternoon. 
And uh, Daniel, I occasionally have come in and do guest lecturing. And so he and I have such a similar past. It, it's fun to spend time with him. He is a great leader. So you definitely learn from one of the best. So absolutely. Also, yeah. I mean, uh, go ahead, please. No, no, I was saying absolutely. I mean, I, I took so much away from him. Uh, and even if the, he was not maybe even addressing me specifically, just seeing uh, the thought process and how to handle different situations has been incredibly uh, valuable. And, and I take those lessons with me almost daily. You know, so it's interesting. On that note, one of, one of the things we've been trying to do at Chime is, is teach this concept of this next generation leader. We call them transformational leaders or different words, but it really is kind of that 3.0 level. And one of the key attributes of this next generation leader is, though they understand the technology and how to apply it, they really are more about the relationship management and the ability to work across huge spectrums of different leaders and different personalities and functions within the organization to really leverage those things. And I know this is a big area of passion for you. How do you approach relationship management? Um, that's a very good question. And uh, I actually just try to keep it very simple. Um, I, I think there's two there's two parts of this that I've learned um, that I think is very valuable. One, you need to have the other side of the relationship, if you will, give you the opportunity, and that's kind of what I allude to often as the being at the table. Uh, you know, and we could definitely spend so much time about you know how sometimes IT can be an afterthought, but um, you know, as long as the folks are willing to spend time with you, I think it's important in our role, and what I've found important is to spend the time with them, understand what their issues are, being okay with hearing what isn't working. Um, I'm more interested in what's not working, what are their pain points, what are the hurdles. Um, but, you know, I, there's a huge piece of this, and it's keeping things basic, really. It's no different than having a work relationship or having, you know, a good friend for 10, 20 years, and that's that you can trust these people, you're going to be honest with them, and, you're, you know, essentially you're there for them or their department, uh, especially when they need you to be there. So, um, and, and without having those relationships, I don't, I, I would find it very difficult to be successful in my role because you need the other areas, you need the other leaders, you need other teams to really help move the ball and, and you know, and successfully complete almost any project. They can't, I can't do anything by myself, you know, um, and not, not many people can, but especially in the CIO role, you need to be um, reliant and uh, not reliant, I guess, but, you know, have those good relationships so that, you know, you can uh, generate a positive outcome. So I spend a lot of time just learning the folks, learning what makes them tick. I think that's important for leading a team too. Um, but really, you know, fostering those relationships and understanding what, what is it that they're trying to achieve. Uh, in the meantime, there's a, a big piece that I, I try to teach my team too, that goes a long way. And, uh, I think there's some that view IT as, you know, we're very techie, we talk about protocols, and we talk about all this crazy stuff that people don't understand, and we need to be good translators. And when you're making these relationships, you talk in their, ling you know, in the, in their lingo, and you understand what they're trying to achieve, what they're going to understand. I, I would never go into a leadership meeting and, you know, talk about protocols. I, I basically say, here's what we need to do, and here's the impact to the organization or to the team or to the project. So there's a few factors that go in there, but it's really learning how to, uh, you know, speak their language, given whatever department you're, you know, you're talking to. Um, but again, just do the basics of a, of a good relationship. 
know that they can trust you. Uh, you're going to be dependable and you're going to more, more times than not produce good outcomes for them. So um, it's a very big point of focus for me, especially given this uh, coming to a new organization in the middle of everything. Uh, it was even more critical. So, Well, on that note, you just mentioned something at the beginning of this of having a seat at the table. First of all, tell us what that means to you, but also once you're there, how do you take advantage probably isn't the right word. How do you maximize that opportunity you've been given? Yeah, so very passionate about this one as well. Uh, you know, uh, we've all been there and anyone um, in our role or, not, you know, in IT, uh, I'm sure we can think of many times where IT was brought in at the end when, you know, maybe a department already feels as though they've uh, architected a solution or a project and then they basically say, okay, IT, we want you to uh, execute it for us. Um, a seat at the table to me means especially uh, at the leadership level that IT is brought in early on and we get to understand what is it that the organization or the business is trying to achieve. Um, and then this plays into the second uh, question that you had asked. And if we are afforded that opportunity and we're brought in at the same time as everybody else, the, the ability to take advantage of that is understanding what we're trying to achieve and then allowing the team or business to be able to do that either quicker, cheaper, uh, you know, more efficiently, uh, produce better outcomes, allowing IT to understand what it is that we're trying to achieve uh, really allows us to flex our muscle, I feel, and that we, especially leaders in IT, know the bag of tricks that we have. We know the tools that are available to us. And now you're explaining to us what is it that we're trying to go after. And now I can go back to the arsenal and say, okay, I know we have this, 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 and this, and I think it'll be able to help us in XYZ fashion. So that's how I try to maximize that opportunity of being at the table because I now know with enough time what we're trying to achieve. And uh, that way I can help, uh, you know, put the pieces in place from an IT perspective that would, you know, either get us there quicker, cheaper, more efficiently, or produce, you know, produce better outcomes. So, uh, but it is critical that IT is at the table. I can't think of almost, I, there's literally no project that I could think of that there isn't a slight, at least a slight bit of uh, IT involvement. Yeah, it's absolutely true. We, we It's become kind of the equivalency of finance. Finance knows where every dollar is spent, so therefore they know everything going on. Now everything involves a piece of data somewhere, so IT needs to know what's going on. To that front, exactly. uh, you're probably, you know, if, if you talk about that generation of digital natives um, that kind of lived in this world from the from most of their lives, you know, they kind of just, it's native to them, they get it. And how do you approach, especially in the fact that some organizations still have leaders in, in, in much later stages of their lives, 60s and 70s even nowadays, that definitely the technology doesn't, and they don't even understand the concept of digital health. How do you approach this kind of programmatically, strategically in your organization to help guide them at that 3.0 level to this next level of digital health? I I think you actually rely on the components and topics that we already talked about. Um, for example, if you know uh, there's a I don't know you know I'll start with HIM. Right? There's a lot of paper there, and you might say, okay, there's solutions that we could uh, help eliminate that paper. And you know you might have a more traditional leader say, well, it works. I don't need to 
I don't need to do that. You know, it's tried true. It works. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to pay any more money. Uh, you know, I'm not going to gain anything out of that. And I think what you, in our role again, uh, and you can hear a lot of consistent phrases from me, but you're going to rely then on that relationship with them that you can go to them and say, you know, I, I know what we're trying to do, or I can see a vision and here's why. I think you would personally uh, benefit from this, but here's why from an organizational standpoint, uh, you know, this is the right decision to do and to move forward with. And the other piece of that again is being the translator, speaking to them in their terms. So if I'm speaking to the CFO, I would talk in the sense of probably savings, right? If I'm talking to the uh, leader of HIM, I'm gonna to talk to them about the efficiencies that they gain and uh, freeze up time with their staff, you know, again, relying on those relationships and being the translator, not talking techie talk to them, <laughs> but talking to them in their, in their world and in, in their situation, why that would matter. And that's a huge piece because if you can do that, then you can relay the value to, to folks. And if you can relay the value to folks, then that opens their eyes and says, well, maybe this is worth trying. Uh, if you can't do that, I, I would find it very difficult to try to persuade a team or even an individual, another uh, fellow leader, uh, to move forward with something because if they don't understand why they're doing it or don't see the value in it, then, you know, that that's pretty much dead in the water before it even moves. So um, that's why I rely on those relationships and being uh, as good as a translator as I can be. So some of these new terms and, and you and I generally understand what they are. We probably don't know everything about them at this point, but AI and, and machine learning and all this kind of stuff. Sounds a little scary to some. Sounds like the robots are going to rise up and take over the world. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how do you approach something like that in an organization that's probably been around a while and, you know, kind of think it's just about patient care, you know, hands-on patients taking care of them. How, how do you approach such a, a technical topic and then translate it into there's going to be a different world down the, down the road? Yeah, and that can be a challenge. I think all of us face that. Um, I would I would actually start at the end with this and say, what is it that we're trying to achieve? So if it, as you allude to, if it's better outcomes um, and it's, I don't know, maybe something in cardiology or predicting um, certain type of outcomes. Again, being the translator and understanding what it is we're trying to achieve allows me then to work backwards. So if we're looking for better outcomes in a certain department and there's a tool that includes AI, I'm not gonna dive into the weeds with them and say, this is the algorithm that helps uh, compute the, you know, the probability of a patient, you know, um, experiencing a certain condition. I'm gonna say this tool is going to allow us to, you know, it gives us another, another tool rather, uh, another measure uh, to potentially look at to see what we may need to do or something that may impact treatment. So I would work backwards in that case. And especially with speaking to the other leaders, um, as I mentioned before, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds technical talk. Let me understand what the problem is. And my role, as I perceive it, is to come to you with solutions. If there's an issue, I'm going to find a solution. Um, so, you know, depending on how interested that person may be, uh, they might ask more questions, but I always just try to keep it as simple as possible. Again, speak in their terms and understand what the problem is and then present a solution. So um, again, and then obviously you have some that are very interested in AI and will say, oh, well, you know, what data components is it taking? How many samples has it done? You know, what is the, uh, 
uh, you know, percentage, uh, you know, of positive calculations, you know, things like that. But um, again, a very common approach to a lot of things as you probably already gathered, but it's, it's definitely keeping things uh, simple and understanding the problem. Interesting. Today's episode of the Digital Health Leaders Podcast was brought to you by our segment supporter, LK, your healthcare data plumbers. Learn more about LK at ellkay.com. So you mentioned earlier, you know, some mentors you had in life, and you mentioned Daniel Bargy. I'm sure there's others there. And so what's your approach to, you know, kind of the giving back part of this, which is, you know, your responsibility now as a leader to, to do the same thing they did for you. What's your approach in developing your staff? Yeah, I, I, this is one of the most important uh, things to me. It's doing just that. And I think it's one of the most rewarding. Uh, and, I, and to that point, I think a lot of people would agree too. I try to spend as much time with the staff as I can, learning uh, each individual on an individual basis, um, learning what makes them tick, uh, what are they interested in, um, and also sharing uh, you know, the lessons that I had I had learned. If, if I was never afforded that opportunity with my mentors, again, I wouldn't be where I am today. And my, my goal is to, you know, basically uh, reciprocate that um, and give back to the team and, and learn together. I, I learn constantly uh, from the team and especially on the technical side, I'm always diving in on the clinical side, I'm asking questions. Um, so, it, like I said, I, I try to take the same approach that I have learned from from the great mentors that I had. Um, and the other thing too is, you know, offering the ability to continue their education and, and challenging them, uh, setting goals, asking them what their, you know, three-year plan is, five-year plans, where do you see yourself? It is my responsibility to help you get there, uh, regardless of whatever position it is, whatever level it is, uh, even if it's just getting more tools uh, in your tool belt, I take that as a, as a, responsibility of the leader to help uh, help drive that uh, continued growth. Um, but again, I, I just, I'm very open with anyone, try to give them the, the pearls that I've learned, whether it was the tough way or someone passed it along in a conversation, uh, but uh, pretty much an open book. And, and like I said, try to give back as much as uh, I've been fortunate enough to, to have received. Yeah. So on that same front, we're, we're always in a world of continuous learning, but hundreds of emails a day, COVID hitting the organization, uh, economic challenges going on, um, thousand different topics you could study. How do you personally continue to develop yourself and, and, and where do you go to learn? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, I actually try to go multiple different avenues. I think like much of us, we read constantly, even on our own time. So I'm always doing that, trying to keep up with the, you know, the main things that are happening or the new technologies that are coming out. Um, but you know, a lot, I actually, I, I learn a lot from my peers, um, you know, in the, in the chime forums, especially when we have breakout sessions. And I, I find those incredibly uh, valuable because, you know, again, we're not facing things that are much different than our counterparts in many cases. So um, to hear where their focus is, what are they looking at? What is interesting to them? What are their challenges? I get I get probably more uh, just from conversations that I have, um, you know, again with peers or friends that are in similar situations or, or positions. So, uh, you know, I pretty much I don't think it's much different than anybody anybody else. But I, I place a high value on on those conversations, even if it's a 
you know, a quick 15 minute touch base, um, you know, uh, with a, a fellow CIO, regardless of where he is, what, you know, what are they, what are they looking at? Where, what projects are on their, on their plate right now? So um, just reaching out and uh, again, trying to be a sponge as much as possible. Uh, the other thing I, I learn a lot from uh, in, in different areas is right here in our own organization. I constantly am asking questions to the CEO, you know, the VP of operations. Uh, can I join this meeting? You know, I might not even have a role in it right now, but can I just sit there uh, and join and just hear what, what are these areas dealing with? So uh, also, again, playfully being a, a nudge, if you will, and uh, inserting yourself in, in areas that maybe typically, a, in this case, a CIO wouldn't be involved in, uh, I try to join those, you know, uh, quality meetings, operational meetings, you know, environmental services, a anything, anywhere I can go where anyone <laughs> is willing to have me, <laughs> I'm going to join. So, um, yeah, again, just being a sponge in different avenues. That's great. So it's it's an interest, obviously, and it's it's almost overstated to say these are interesting times. But it, it's it, one of the things that Simon Sinek said recently is these are not interesting or abnormal times. They are just times, and great leaders are learning to flex and change, and adapt in different ways um, because it, it's it's not that it's a new normal. We're constantly looking for a new normal. That's just the world we live in and change. So. You know, if you look into your crystal ball and you, you kind of project what will happen out into the world, you know, you assume certain things like COVID will phase out on a little bit and uh, maybe we'll have a vaccine relatively soon. But, you know, that next six to 18 months, what, what does it look like uh, in our industry for your organization uh, as, as we come out of a fast ramp up of technology like telehealth and telemedicine and observation and so many other things? What do you think, you know, using the cliche word, what's the new normal look like in 18, 24 months? An interesting uh, question. We were talking about this internally uh, with our leadership team. I, I, there's a few, few ways I would answer that. One, I don't think a lot of uh, the components or technologies we put in place in response to COVID are going to go away. Uh, I think it was actually a, a very good accelerator in many cases, uh, for, for example, telehealth. You know, some organizations really jumped on that bandwagon maybe years ago, uh, where others like a community hospital such as ourselves might have, you know, might have been looking at it, uh, trying to plan it out maybe in the next few years where, you know, now we had to accelerate that. So I, I think it on a technology front, it, it did a lot of good and really pushed us and gave us the push we needed to dive into waters that we might have been a little hesitant to do so. Um, so, you know, things like telehealth, obviously, those aren't going away. We're going to continue to refine them. Um, you know, different solutions that may, be, may have been put in place uh, during COVID, like I said, I don't think are going to go away. The, the piece that I find interesting that I, I track as much as I can is how I perceive some of a paradigm shift where the patients will begin to own their data um, rather than the other way around. You know, for example, having their maybe their complete medical record on their iPhone, and when they go to an organization, they might scan it, and it has their medical chart there, their medical history. Um, you know, the other component is uh, wearables and how much, say, you know, Apple's Watch can integrate into different apps that have care plans in them, and you know, the the physicians or the care teams are able to track: are they following the care plans? You know. Um, 
are they doing what we asked them to do? Are they following the instructions? Or, or are we slipping and I need to give them a call? That, that, that additional connection to the patient, uh, I find fascinating. I think it'll produce better outcomes. Um, and I also think that that paradigm shift of having, as I perceive it to be a paradigm shift uh, of patients now beginning to own their data more, access their data more, uh, have the rights uh, or the technical capability rather, you know, to tap into that information, I, I find fascinating. And I see that only accelerating um, and then really putting the onus on us in IT as to how do we make that secure? How do we make that efficient? How do we get the patient the information that they need, that they want, um, you know, kind of outreach. So that's what, you know, personally, that's where I, I have my focus. Um, and, you know, how do we push the limit there and push the envelope there? Um, so that's where I see, personally, where I see our focus going for the next, you know, year, year and a half, um, at least here uh, at this organization. So, but like I said, for things that were in response to COVID, I don't see them going away anytime soon, if ever. You know, we implemented um, a, uh, an application to help uh, with throughput. We didn't want too many people, uh, you know, with social distancing. We couldn't afford to have our waiting rooms filled as they quote unquote normally would have been. Uh, so we use uh, a curbside pickup uh, app or what was once, you know, uh, an application that's dedicated to that. And this allowed automated communication to help instruct the patient to, you know, maybe stay outside of the waiting room, stay in their car, so we were able to manage throughput, but we were also automatically able to connect with the patient, you know, and send them reminders on their appointments and, hey, when you come here, um, you know, follow these steps and then we'll be in touch with you. You know, those are real, those have been overwhelmingly positive implementations and impacts. And that was in response to COVID and managing throughput, but it's been so beneficial. I don't know if that will ever go away or, you know, maybe we'll tweak it. So uh, that's what I'm alluding to when I say things that were put in place in response to COVID, I, I, they, they may not ever go away now, you know, that might be the new norm. So um, that, that's been our experience here. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you that we'll see where the normal kind of leveling of this is, but yeah, we definitely are heading down that new path. That's, uh, that's great insight. You know, on that, it, it's interesting, I saw in your bio um, that you have been going through lean classes. I think you've done the white and the green, is that true? You're, Correct. Yep. I have the I have the white, and then I have a, a green belt uh, in Six Sigma with a concentration in IT. So, so people talk about IT being three parts: the technology, the people, and the process. And we don't spend a lot of time really talking about the process in many cases. Not that the other two parts aren't critically important. Tell us your perspective on how how Lean and Six Sigma and really this process focus can really aid in the IT processes and implementations. Yeah, I could probably spend hours on this. <laughs> um, but uh, at least uh, here um, at Signature, it's been a perfect uh, blend. One, because the organization as a whole is a lean organization. Um, so everything we do is lean oriented and we use uh, all the verbiage, the tools. Um, so from that aspect, it's absolutely incredible. As you, you know, as you kind of add that layer of IT onto it and apply uh, either Six Sigma or Lean uh, to IT, you know, it, it is incredibly useful because without understanding the process, and this is going to seem very basic, but 
I think we skip steps at times without truly understanding the process. I can't solve for what the problem is because I don't know what step that, you know, where the breakdown may be. So, um, you know, quite often, especially now since joining the team, whenever there's an issue, we immediately go to a flow chart nine times out of 10 and we just draw it out. Right. So if this happens, what happens? If this happens, what happens? Uh, and it really provides clarity and also provides a lot of understanding to what is it that we're one trying to achieve, but two, what is the normal workflow around things? And that can go, you know, that could be, uh, you know, you could really focus on that from say a clinical perspective in the EMR, right? If certain steps are taken, what is the outcome? Uh, that could also be uh, applying patches. If we do it at a certain time of day and we wait a certain amount of time, you know, a certain amount of time to apply the patch, what is the outcome there? So but there's really nothing that we, we can't map. And, and what we often do, like I, I mentioned, is that's the first step we, we really take is, okay, what, what is happening as to how we think it's happening and where do we need it to go? Um, the other big thing too uh, is actually measuring things. Um, we have a lot of metrics and now, you know, we try to hone in on what the key ones are, uh, but being able to measure what success is, is incredibly important. And, that, and that's where having the organization be a lean organization is, is like a perfect marriage because in IT, as you know, we, we can measure a lot. Uh, I, there's not many things we can't measure in, in IT, but when the rest of the organization approaches projects the same way, it makes it, it makes it really easy to transition into another discussion. Um, even with the EMR conversion, we have metrics that we know we have to meet for it to be considered a, a successful conversion. Uh, and we're all thinking and talking the same thing. So um, I think it's a little bit easier to apply it to IT, uh, just given the nature of work that we do and the type of projects we have. Uh, but again, when the rest of the organization too, uh, is on that same page, it, it, it makes it very, uh, very easy to approach projects in the same fashion. Wow. Well, I, it's interesting because I saw this in some of our organizations going to start down this. So I, I really uh, admire you with getting those certifications to maintain that excellence. So, you know, with a little bit of time that we have left, um, and you, yeah, admittedly, we all get a little jazz with the technology. I think we'd be lying if we don't. There's some cool stuff out mm -hmm. there. What's some cool technology you've seen that others should go out there and start looking at? It could be anything. It could be personal stuff you've had to do at home now during COVID, those kinds of things. But what's a cool yeah, technology you know, I, you've seen? Um, so, <laughs> I mean, any, the traditional answer would probably be blockchain, AI, you know, machine learning. Um, and it's very true that I think there's a part of us that are, are geeky in nature and we enjoy the, the techie stuff. One thing that I, I'm specifically interested in uh, on a hobby level, but I, I think we'll start to see it more. I've, I've read articles uh, of Amazon um, kind of exploring the idea too, but it, it's a uh, utilization of drones. Um, <laughs> you know, I, and people naturally, when I even mention that, yeah, that's, that's a little bit crazy. Um, and it is, I think, and it's a little bit out there for for right now. But I think there might be uh, the potential for drones, either for you know medication delivery or um, maybe even telehealth to some extent. You know, and we might be talking five, ten years out down the road. But um, you know, I think there's something, uh, there is some value there, uh, and just like you know, 
other things that we might have thought were far-fetched 10 years ago and now they're part of our everyday lives. Um, the other thing that, and I mentioned this earlier, that I find very interesting is the, the technology that we have in, uh, I'll use the, the term wearables, but you know, like our watches, our phones, what these things can monitor and then hopefully, you know, interface or integrate with uh, back in a, in a care setting, such as a hospital or a primary care physician, I find that fascinating because now we're able to track uh, our patients a little bit better. We have further outreach to them. Uh, you know, we're able to monitor if they're following the care plans, uh, you know, that we might have laid out for them. Uh, that to me is very, very promising. Uh, again, gives us a set of eyes where we normally wouldn't have had uh, any visibility into what the patient's doing, and we would have just had to wait, you know, another six months till we, till they come back in to see the doctor, and then the doctor says at that point, well, I, I see you didn't follow anything I said for six months, and, you know, we haven't made any progress, and maybe it's even gotten worse, so to have that outreach to, to know that that's the trend that's happening, or the behaviors that are happening way before that six-month follow-up to, to try to, you know, correct, uh, the situation, I think, is going to produce amazing outcomes. Uh, so those are the two areas. Uh, one a little bit geekier in nature, like I said, with the drone. But you know, those that wearable technology and getting that to integrate back into the care settings, I, I, I find fascinating. Well, I promise the listeners that there is no way we prep this up ahead of time. But one of my coolest things I like to follow right now is drones as well, and some of the cool stuff like University of Utah has. FAA-approved landing sites for human-sized moving drones now, and Maryland is moving organs across their campus by for donations and transplant. It, it, it really is what used to be what the cool things you played with your kids is now all of a sudden becoming real in healthcare. So I love that you put that one in there, even unprompted. So yeah. one last <laughs> pearl awesome. of yeah, one last pearl of wisdom during it, for Nick. For, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to share with everybody. Uh, I, I don't think it's uh, anything too crazy, and it's actually just keep keep things uh, simple. Uh, that has been very, very helpful since uh, coming here. You know, know what the objective is and, uh, you know, keeping it simple and not being afraid to make a decision as long as it's logical. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I think at times, and I'm guilty of this too, we overthink things and we create 50 scenarios in our head that could happen uh, rather than taking the information um, and basically you're saying, okay, this makes sense. I've thought about it. This is logical and, and let's move forward. I think a lot of times we get stuck in, uh, you know, the what ifs and while well, this could happen, this can happen. Uh, as long as something has been thought out, you can explain your reasoning uh, and you made the decision, we're all going to make mistakes. But as long as you have thought it out and it makes sense, um, I don't know of many people that uh, get too too deep into trouble for doing that. And I think it's actually more uh, more harmful to kind of squander and you know think about all the the various what ifs rather than uh, making decisions and that couldn't have been more more true uh, especially handling the COVID and that was the message that our uh, CEO actually would share he'd say all right like long as we can logically explain why we did this we're going to move forward we need to move forward we need to be quick we need to be nimble um, and if we need to adjust, we'll adjust, but, uh, let's keep it simple and, and let's move forward. So, uh, I think that's an appropriate message given the times, uh, at hand now. Well, uh, we may call you the next generation leader, but you are definitely wise beyond your years. So, uh, Nick, it has been a pleasure to have you on the program today. Good luck with everything you're doing there at Signature. 
and as always, uh, Chime's always here for you. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. And we'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for listening to this episode of the Digital Health Leaders Podcast. As always, you can find these and all of our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or at chimecentral.org forward slash media. As always, take care. Stay home during these crazy times if you can. If you don't, wear your mask, be safe, and God bless. Today's segment of the Digital Health Leaders Podcast was brought to you by our supporter, LK.